You're about to listen to Rich Tanning's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, or some of the cool kids are calling it now Rahel Estepur. That's Rahel Estepur. That's a new thing that's happening. Uh, it is free on audio, uh, and I'm very happy for you to listen to it for free. Uh, but you can buy a video version of this podcast uh, at gofasterstripe.com and then click on the relevant section of the site you'll be able to buy a series pass for 15 pounds for at least seven videos or three pound 50 an episode all that money will be plowed back into making more comedy making more leicester square theater podcasts so if you like the show it'd be fantastic if you could just even buy just one of them uh but you don't have to buy anything at all uh if you could just tell your friends about the podcast that would be payment as well so i hope you enjoy the show here it comes now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who's just been sucking on a tit full of talc. It's Richard Herring! Thank you! Hello, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. It's a brand new audience. I, I, did, I haven't changed my shirt in a week. Uh, for the second episode of Rich Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, or as all the cool kids are calling it, Rahel Estepur. Oh, it's been quite a week, hasn't it? Oh, these flies are back. Can't believe... I'm, I really... I might spend five minutes just trying to kill these flies with my... If I could get one with my Slytherin notebook, that would be... It's my Slytherin notebook, because I don't like Harry Potter. That's right, so... I bought that to teach... <coughs> to teach... Uh, J.K. Rowling a lesson. She's a little learnt a lesson. Um, I, on the last, at the end there, I just tried, at the end of the uh, podcast with Shappie, I did try to punch a fly, and I realised how amusing it would have been if I'd just punched Shappie, because I didn't... <laughs> no, I was trying to get a fly. Uh, it was a great interview. We had fun. Uh, so uh, all sorts of things have been going on uh, in... Uh, Nothing, nothing new. Uh, so I haven't, I haven't got anything, I haven't got anything there. So I'm going to talk to, uh, I've, I've done all my jokes. I'm going to uh, talk to the audience. We're seeing James and Karen. I'm sorry, I offended you in the last podcast. She's a very attractive woman, but look, he does look uh, too good for her. So um, it's not really, not really. But talking to like someone who looks too good for someone, look at this. Look at that woman, that gorgeous. And then look at that guy. That, you're not you're not with her to like you know no it's his birthday, it's his birthday. <laughs> what so you the, the prostitute he's hired to, that makes sense didn't I see you and on the road to Naples on the railroads <laughs> Naples uh, it's got some, got some people right over here they haven't felt like moving closer they've stayed uh, aloof hoping they'd get away with it the guy uh, training for the half marathon now you're making your tracksuit <laughs> A bit cold. I'm very bad at this. There they are. That's very nice. What's your name, madam? Kira. Kira. That's nice. Where are you from? I'm detecting an accent. I'm kind of Henry Higgins. I'll get it for you. I've only, I need to hear one. Uh, I'm saying um, South Africa. You're very close. Am I? <laughs> Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's not bad. I got close on the second. Uh, I sort of ran Cork. That's, that's close to Cork. That's close to fuck. That's why I'm saying you used to live in Cork. That's what Henry Higgins can do. He can do whatever I was going to say, ground Cork, and then you move to Dublin. I'm so bad at doing it. There we go. It is. It's all of Ireland's close to all of Ireland, and it all belongs to England. Uh, and uh, what's, what's your name, sir? Owen. Owen. Ireland. I'm going. Yeah. It's not good. Good. Did you meet uh, Kira in Ireland? You're over here, but you stick together, don't you? That's what. Yeah. 
That's why you're over here. Because all the bombs are over there, eh? You know what I'm saying? Nah, it's moved on. It's the Muslims now. So go get it. Topical. It's not, not even topical anymore. We'll edit all this out. Uh, so, what do you do for, uh, for a living, Owen? You're a business analyst. That's good. I can do that. We're all business analysts, aren't we, really? You go into a shop, this is shit. Yeah. And uh, what about you, uh, Kira? You're a therapist. Getting any, uh, any good material from watching me talk to you here? What kind of therapy do you do? You work with children. You disgust me. <laughs> you disgust me. In a nice way, right? Yeah. You kind of helping them. Yeah. After they've, after they've met TV personalities. Uh, so that is, that is a good thing. Well, that banter went well. That was very good. Uh, very enjoyable. It's not going to be in the podcast. It might be. It will be. I'm really fucked off about these flies. They're driving me insane. I can't believe it. They are really... I'm going to... I'm really... There's, about, there's only about two of them. Just... What is this? There's hundreds. What are they doing here? Where have they come from? It's nothing to do with it. I feel like it's a personal slight against my... I've showered. I went for a run yesterday, but, you know, I'm not that stinky. Do you want some hairspray? Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> They're living in the curtain. They're living in the curtain. They're all, it's not a fucking pantomime. Hold on. Oh, yes! I got it. Disgusting, the Les Square Theatre has really gone down in the worst, just full of. <laughs> Terrible thing is that no one, you're just humouring, no one else can see these flies. It's just, oh, man. Ah! Um, well, anyway, our next guest won't mind about this. There are no flies on him. Uh, will you please welcome him? He is, uh, it's disgusting. He is the narrator of Gladiators Ready, the, gla the Gladiator story. That is where you. We'll probably know him from. <laughs> Please welcome Rufus Hound, ladies and gentlemen, it's Rufus Hound. <laughs> Rufus Hound. Hello, Richard Herring. If that is your real name. Which it isn't, no. I, di I didn't realise it wasn't your real name till today. <laughs> Did you not? No. It's weird, I've sort of owned it. Yes. Because it's odd if you think that you actually met somebody who was really called Rufus Hound. <laughs> Isn't it? Yes. Like, now, you sort of have the idea of what somebody called Rufus Hound would look like. But if you didn't know that, and then you just heard there was someone called Rufus Hound, you'd think, that must be made up. And I always thought it would be very obvious that it was made up. No. And then I started getting cheques addressed <laughs> to Rufus Hound, which I couldn't cash. Wow. Because I'm called Richard Herring, as you know. And that's a sort of similar stupid is, name, but yeah. it is my real name. A sort of old-fashioned name crossed with an animal. <laughs> the name of a king. Yeah. William Rufus, of course, uh, William II, was killed uh, by in a hunting accident. Of course, shot, yeah. Shot in the forest of Dean, maybe, I don't know, one of the forests. A lot of speculation as to whether it was murder or an accident. Yeah. So I guess we'll never know now. We'll never, the one thing about the Dark Ages <laughs> we'll is know. very light on answers. Because I, I, if I have a son, I'm, I'm quite keen to call him Rufus Herring. Not because right. of you. Well. Especially now I know you're not even called Rufus. <laughs> I was going to do it. But because that's Rufus means red. Yes. 
So I thought that would be quite funny. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, that took... <laughs> it does take a little that while. Took That's what I liked about done. it. Yeah. I actually managed to convince my wife that if we have a son, we should call him Rufus Herring. <laughs> and she didn't get it at all. And that was good. And I nearly got it under because I was going, Ruby, if we have yeah, a Scarlet. Scarlet. <laughs> anyway. yeah. uh, but, um, the Scarlet Herring. The Scarlet Herring. Sounds like a Norwegian crime drama. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we get out, get this out of the way, and then we'll is talk about it. Is this how you film the podcast, That's by the way? Is this it? He's just there, sort of. Hello. Let's do that. Hello, internet. Mm. Um, that's Which my, is actually how most people know me on the internet. That, that's for my prolapse porn. I'll be filming later. Um, tell us about um, so uh, narrating than your amateur lapse porn. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Tell us, tell us, uh, his real name's Rob Simpson. It would, just wouldn't work, would it? Rob Simpson. That wouldn't work as a comedian's name. Uh, tell us, because we'll just get that out of the way. You must be asked about it all the time. What was it like narrating Gladiators Ready, the Gladiator story? Yeah, well, story? heady days, as you can imagine. <laughs> Wolf pacing around up and down outside, certain this was going to be the big comeback. And a lot of people there thinking, it's new blood, mate, it's new blood. They're trading on what you bought to the franchise, but he wouldn't listen. And yeah. then they, in the end, they had him back, but by that point, it was done, wasn't it? It was, done, it you was know. over. I don't really even remember it coming back. Ouch. <laughs> Merlin will be furious. <laughs> was that one called Merlin? I don't, I don't oh. know. I can't remember it coming back either. I just did a f- <laughs> fucking voiceover four years ago, which you seem fascinated by. I am fascinated by it. When you got the call about that, how did you feel? <laughs> They said they want you to be the voice of Gladiators Ready. I, I actually... So I'm 34 years old. Okay. So Gladiators really was in my... Like, the, the people that Gladiators was made for, I was one of them. If that yes. makes sense. You know, it was, I was absolutely the right age for that. So when they put it back, I was really chuffed. And I actually got into an argument with the MD of the company that was making it, <laughs> saying that I should be also... You remember, like, there was a commentator... Yeah. Who told you about all of the events. So there was like the hosts. Yeah. But then there was the commentator. Yeah. And I said, I should be doing that. And he went, oh, we've already got someone from Sky Sports. And I went, no, you've gone wrong there. <laughs> it's, you shouldn't have us. It shouldn't be a sports person, like a sports voiceover. Yeah. It should be somebody going, oh, he's fallen over. Wanker. <laughs> uh, and, and where is it now, Rich? Where is it? Who was right, eh? Who did history prove right? Well, but neither of you, maybe. <laughs> Certainly not him. It was great Gladiators. It was good. Remember Wolf from Gladiators? It was exciting. It, it was, was like about exciting... 50 at the time. He was like much older than all the... He was like their dad. He was like the Gladiators' dad. Yeah. And he got, I want to be in this. If you're going to have all my kids in this, yeah. I'm going to be one of Gladiators as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was really good. Like the moustache, I'm, you know, well known for having, yeah. but currently don't. Yeah, I'm disappointed about that. Sorry. We'll get on to that. Sorry, all right. Well, you know, but that really was because I grew up watching American wrestling and Hulk Hogan, you know, he's a preposterous human being. But when you're a kid and a real live, when you're close as you get to like a real live superhero. Yeah, it's weird because uh, I've had a couple of wrestlers on the Edinburgh version of this Have you? podcast. Yeah. Can't remember their names. Colt Cabana and was that other one? Uh, but I don't <laughs> big fan, big the fan. The other guy, what was his name? The other bloke, Mick Foley. Mick Foley. Yeah. Well, that is a proper Mick Foley. Is proper yeah. proper. He's Doesn't royalty. Doesn't mean nothing to me. 
just a big pair of lunks. He's they were. He's a... They were very funny guys. They were very, but it's interesting because it's a generational thing. For my generation, I'm 12 years older than you. Yeah. Uh, as I think you're trying to rub that in my face earlier. Yeah. Uh, Certainly by the time I was starting school, <laughs> yeah. you had already left. I mean, yeah. that is old, isn't it? Yeah. I was still watching kids' old, TV, though. I can still talk to you about any kids' TV, but I didn't get into wrestling at all. So wrestling was not. We had Mick McManus and you know, people like that. That was what changed. They took it off ITV. And then Sky realised in the early days of Sky that there was still an audience for it. But some, I can't remember, it was like, I think some kids had been throwing each other around and one of them got hurt. And they went, oh, it's because they're copying the wrestling yeah. bin it. And Murdoch was already launching Sky out of Luxembourg because they wouldn't give him a licence to broadcast from the UK. And that's why it's satellite telly, is because you could broadcast it from Luxembourg. And because yeah. he was outside of the rules of... You know, British broadcasting. Well, and just outside the rules of and humanity of and civilization. Basic common decency. Just does what he as, wants. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When I say Murdoch was operating out of Luxembourg, what I mean is that the demon that truly is Murdoch operating out of hell <laughs> yeah. was operating from a body of a man who was operating out of Luxembourg. Yeah. Um, That's fair enough. Did you have the moustache when you were watching the, when At you were school, little? Yeah, yeah, yeah always had the... <laughs> I, I like that idea, it would be nice. Uh, so, um... <laughs> well, uh, the, the thing that I do think is weird is that I grew up with my mum really beating into me and my brother that a man didn't look like a man unless he had a beard. Really? Yeah. Beating that into you? Well, sort of. Wow, fucking Like, hell. all of my mum's male, like fancy pieces <laughs> do you know what I mean like the people that my mum was like fucking yeah how you can have a go they were all men with beards they all actually do you know the terrifying thing is they all look weirdly like you look now um, I was one of the Michael one McDonald of the you know one of the Doobie brothers Michael McDonald oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think. What was, was he going out with your mum? No, but she thought he was the absolute right. bee's knees, piercing okay. blue eyes, slightly longer hair, beard. So do you think you grew the moustache because you wanted to get off well, with your own mum? Oedipal thing, <laughs> isn't it? It's my, my turn now, mum. Your mum tells you the sort of person that you're yeah. meant to be, like real men are like this, yeah. and then you look at your dad, and your dad is like the sort of person your mum tells you, and you go, oh, right. So that's what you've got to be like, and then you grow up and you marry somebody who's weirdly a bit like your mum, and it, everyone goes, oh, fucking, that's weird. <laughs> Isn't that what... That's all, not happening no, to me, right. no. It's oh, interesting it's, it's happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> Usually it takes a while to get into the really deep kind of personal shit, but we're straight, straight into Oedipus. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> did you kill... I should like to point out, Yeah, like, we can talk about that, can't we? These are intelligent human beings. They that, are. That, like, understand the no, right? <laughs> one, not this. One, don't know these guys. No. Apologies to you. Can we get a menu and some crayons for... That guy's uh, a nuclear physicist. That's how clever these. but I don't know if he knows who Oedipus is. Of course he's ne he does. He's never had sex with anyone because he's a nuclear physicist. <laughs> but that's true of most of the audience. Yeah. But no, they've not had sex with anyone. You spent too long looking at the wrong sort of Big Bang. <laughs> is that where this is going? It is. Uh, don't think he's looked at any... Uh, that's some kind of... Uh, it's more of a sp astrologist. <laughs> I've gone wrong. I couldn't think of more astrologies into Capricorn. Uh, <laughs> it's difficult doing a... I did a 10-mile run yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so I And it's difficult to do two of these in a row. Uh, <laughs> After so, a 10-mile uh, run. <laughs> this. Oh, uh, the, Chris Evans, not that one. 
uh, wanted me to ask you about the tattoo uh, that you auctioned a tattoo. Oh yeah. Does this did you did this go ahead? Yeah. You auctioned so, part of your body for someone to put anything they wanted on. Is that that's right? That's right. Yeah. That but seemed I'm, a risk. I'm quite limited. Well, it was a risk, but I'd say, the truth is, there's nothing there. Did no, they say can I have? The oh fucking hell. I bet you were annoyed you, with that one. If you're zooming in, uh, yeah. there's makeup all over it. So I've just been in a play where I played a bloke who clearly wouldn't have had tattoos, so they've all been covered up. But the, I see, yeah, the makeup's good. still on because that so stuff it's like a wolf. sticks. It is. Wow, and it's scratching you. It is. That's a nasty detail. <laughs> who, who won? I want a wolf, and I want to be scratching you. I want real I might blood just to leave come that out. up, and then if there are any <laughs> LA gang members watching this, I know you're very big with the LA gang scene. I am. Then I am. they'll know that I'm. Um, it was a risk, but I sort of wanted it to be a risk. Yeah. I thought it would be brilliant if Vagisil and Anasol got into a bidding war. Because then, yes, you're right, I would have ended up with either Vagisil or Anasol tattooed on the back of my leg. But yeah. A, on the back of my leg. Not in your vagina, which Not would be embarrassing. <laughs> would have been very embarrassing if I had Anasol tattooed on my vagina. Um... <laughs> but I thought it's the back of my leg therefore you know I, I'm not really a shorts guy yeah. so nobody really would ever have seen it and at the times they would have seen it anybody looking at that would be compelled wouldn't it? if you saw somebody with anusol <laughs> tattooed on the back of their leg however much British polite the, the rules of engagement you know are imbued within us we would you would have to go up you would have to sorry I'm terribly sorry to bother you you appear to have anusol tattooed on the back of your leg. And then you could tell people, well, it was, you know, it raised some money and it was yeah. a laugh and that's why it's there. So Sounds like you wanted to get anusol tattooed on the back well, of your leg. No, I wanted calf. it, I, I did want it to be something embarrassing at the point where l there were two companies who kind of got how funny it would be yeah. and for a laugh went, right, there's £100,000. Like, I thought that would that could be good. Yep. What I was trying to... In truth, this isn't that funny, so cut this, but what I really thought would happen was if through Twitter, companies have big problems on Twitter having anybody give a shit about them being on Twitter because who wants to follow Heinz? You know, like, you're not walking around going, oh, I really must find out what Heinz think about things today. You know, it just doesn't happen. But they want loads of followers because they want to go, our products are best. And I just thought, if you could get people of Twitter to go to companies and, like... Do, do this, do this. It, it could have, as a marketing thing, yeah. in terms of marketing spend, £100,000 is not a lot of money for big, big companies, especially big pharmaceutical companies and things like that. And then they'd have got good PR out of it and Comic Relief would have raised £100,000 yeah. for a daft fucking tattoo that nobody would ever really see. And if anybody did see would probably find quite funny that that's what had happened. But so what did, how much did you raise? £16,500. Wow, pounds. good. Which was, yeah, which was good. Sorry but about that. I apologise about the flies. Well, I just think if you're going to insist on having all of your furniture made of corpses, this is what's going to happen. It's the corpses of the previous guests. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's why. <laughs> I just thought of a really racist joke. Wow. Just keep that in your head. Okay. You were once, of course, an account exec uh, for Claire's Accessories. <laughs> I was! Oh, it's the research. That's what separates this podcast, isn't it, from the rest of them. It is. Um, you got a game of snooker you should be playing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we all have to do things, don't we, end, to uh, earn our yeah, way. Yeah, we do. How did you end up as uh, Claire's Accessories? 
Well. <laughs> <laughs> what? At the at the age of ah, uh, uh, right. The thing that drives my wife insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously being married to me is clearly top of that list, but the thing that she hates most about me, and again, a very long list, is that I can't answer a question without starting at the beginning of civilization and working forwards. That's fine, we've got right? time. We've the got all honest night. answer to that is, I worked at a PR company and I got a promotion, right? <laughs> yep. And then I was an account executive, and that was the account that I was executing. Yeah. That's the answer, right? The long answer Let's go for the long is, answer. I read an article with Anne Robinson ages ago in which she said if she was queen, she'd close all the schools. And I just thought, what a fucking fatuous, sort of deliberately sort of controversial thing to say. But her point underneath, it really rang true. She said all the people she knew in the world who'd really accomplished things were terrible at school. Because the sort of people who accomplish things, the sort of people who at school go, oh, fuck you, fuck your rules, fuck telling me how to do all this, I'm going to go off and I'm going to do it my way. And that actually what schools do is they try and beat that out of people in favour of do what we say, learn what we learn. And exams now, they're a business, what you get taught at school is how to pass exams. You don't get taught subjects, you get taught what to say in the exam to pass the subject. And that was sort of what happened. By the time I was 17, I'd worked out the only good thing about college was drinking and the opportunity for possible fanny. <laughs> and that was all I was there for. So my exams were just nosediving beyond... I mean, I've got three A-levels and one of them is general studies. <laughs> so I, I just, by that point, I was smart enough to know that going into uni was going to be a massive debt in a shit subject from a terrible university and all I would do would be drink and just do the bare minimum in order that I could stay there at what was basically a sort of fingering holiday camp. <laughs> <laughs> and, on... and you didn't want to go to that? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, my theory <laughs> was that in that summer I got a job working for the Leukaemia Research Fund and my job in part was ringing around big companies and asking them if they had prizes they could give us for auctions at different uh, uh, leukaemia fund events. And one of the people I rang said, how old are you? And I said, uh, I was 18 at that point. And she said, you know, you're really good at this. And I went, oh, that's very kind. She went, you should work in PR. And I was like, that was the first time a grown-up had told me I should have a job. And that was the first thing I heard. So I just went, all right then. So I just started writing to PR agencies and went, you know, I can write and make tea and is there a job for me? And I worked for this tiny little agency and because they were tiny, I was the tea boy. And when an account executive left, they just looked around and went, you, you know, that was, that was literally it. And when you're the PR executive for Claire's Accessories, your job is to, like, I, I cannot explain to you how funny it is seeing people walking around with Claire's accessory stuff on because we used to just get like bin bags of it <laughs> thrown through the office door it's so cheap to make all of that that when you're sending stuff to journalists you would just send like fucking like vans of things to their homes yeah. and all of it was covered in glitter 
So for about two years, there was not a part of my body that you could wipe and not find the residue of something sparkly. Because that was my job. I just used to stuff massive envelopes full of tat with a press release jammed in it and just write the envelope. And that was being... This wasn't what and... you said when you were the PR executive. Like no. This is how you described it. That may explain why I wasn't the accountant for very long, yeah. But, but I, did, I mean, I... Oh, it's terrible, but... Like, I, I quite like what Claire's accessories do because they give, like girly girls who haven't got very much money, real pocket money, the chance to go and feel good about themselves. And that's, I think that's quite nice, quite a lovely, quite a lovely thing. I think you're worse than Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I did very well. Honestly, you kill five million Jews and this is what you get from the guy. I Unbelievable. Did. I worked very hard I'm at telling you, I, I killed very hard those Jews for a bet. I did. I worked very hard at school and I did very well in my exams, so I'm very offended by what you just said about <laughs> Not my words, the words of Anne Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> then that's not so bad. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I, I, I was hoping to watch this film before. I, it wasn't on Netflix, though. You did a film when you... One of your first things... Well, actually, one of your films is on Netflix. Because the first film you did was The Gypsy Wedding. The big Fat Gypsy Gangster. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's... you know. Do you know anything about that movie? No, it's well, Ricky Grover's. So it's Ricky Grover's movie. Yeah. And the, the casting process for that was fascinating. I was at a party and Ricky Grover walked up behind me and went, I've written a film. You're in it. <laughs> yes, I am, yes. Um, I, I fucking adore Ricky Grover. Yes, me too. Um, and, and when you see him live, it is magical. Because what he's doing is, uh, you can't, pin down what it is he's doing he's huge and terrifying and what he's doing is psychopathic <laughs> and yet at the same time he is more vulnerable than anybody you've ever met and you can't help but love him and I don't know how you do that and I think anybody who can be that funny in a way that I can't really process I think you're probably a genius you know, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, there must okay. be something genuinely genius. I'm not using that word in the kind of, you know, oh, you, mate, you're a genius, you know. So when he said they're making that movie, I was like overjoyed. Someone's found the money and all this and the other. He had just nightmares with that thing. Right. He was let down by some people who made him some very major promises. And what emerges from that is not the movie he set out to make. What emerges from that was what he had left having been comprehensively lied to, nice. and rather than just write it off as a bad lot, he put absolutely everything on the line to, to finish it. Because all of these people he felt he'd made promises to, he didn't want to let down. Nice. And I, it's not, it's, I mean, if you ever have him on, maybe you ask him about it and see what he has to say. It's not my place to say how yeah. far he went. But he went beyond what I think most people would go to in order to get that thing finished. And, and, and I think he'd be the first to say it's not the greatest film in the world by a long chalk. It's quite surreal. I've seen little clips of it. There's sort of surreal elements. Well, it's it. sort of... Because it ends up sort of being almost sketches because what he was told... What, they were, what he was told they'd filmed and the shots they had and what had been recorded, were, when you looked at the footage, that was not... Right. The, the bloke directing it was not the bloke who Ricky thought he was. <laughs> 
And again, I, I don't want to get in. You know, it's Ricky's story to tell. Yeah, but cross Ricky. But no, Could no. But I think. I mean, I think killed. he might. You know, he might or not. But but what you get at the end of that, I only ever see as a triumph of one man. When most people would have just gone right, screw that. He he carried on until something emerged, and it's got Peter Capaldi in it. Right. And Peter Capaldi is fucking brilliant in it. It's got Stephen Burkoff in it, and Stephen Burkoff's brilliant in it. It's got Omid Jalili in it. Omid's brilliant in it. And then you've got Ricky, who then like went back and literally just shot things like out the back of his house, <laughs> just with him trying to like tie it all together. And, and, and so it's not the greatest movie in the world, but I can't ever watch it with anything other than love because I know what it meant to him to get that thing finished. Well, was that your first... Because you've now, you're an actor, really, now, rather than a comedian. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel that about your that. First but it's true. That is true, but I don't know how I feel about coming out in that way. Yeah. I sort of feel like I'm a stand-up who isn't currently doing that and is doing other things. Yeah. But I don't think that's true, it's been, is I mean, it? you've, you've always been... You know, you've always been. Uh, what's the right word? A cunt. A cunt. Yeah. <laughs> it's just my brain isn't working. It's too late in the evening. But you've always, uh, is, you're like a Renaissance man. How about that? That's a nicer way of saying it. Then <laughs> you're a cunt. You're like a Renaissance. I'm still thinking cunt. I'm still thinking cunt. <laughs> and that's quite cunty. Because uh, so no, you've, you've been doing, you, you've been a presenter. You've, yeah. you, you've done stand-up, obviously. Yeah. You've done game shows, and yeah. then you've, you know, you seem to. It's a sw- it's you know the swerve away into being in the the the, the one man two governors yeah uh, was kind of quite a surprise do you yeah. think yeah I mean because that was it's a it's a big role and it's a, it's a it, it was James Corden obviously had taken it on and done amazing Incredible work business with, that. with it yeah and and I so mean, for them to then go to someone who you know is a comedian and isn't necessarily well known well as an it's actor, that awful it? thing of when he I know him a little bit. And when all of the reviews came out as to how good he was in that show, um, they went from the National to the Apollo, or the Adelphi, sorry, which is like 1,600 seats, and you couldn't get one for love nor money. That's how big a smash it was. So I rang him and went, you know, you can get me a ticket, can't you? So I went with my missus to see it, went and saw him afterwards. And... um, You know, so I'd seen it with him in it and and, and realised what it was. The moment he said he was going to Broadway with it, but they were going to continue it over here, I just thought, oh, that's a terrible decision someone's made. Because who can, who can continue the James Corden show when you're not James Corden? That's foolish. And it went to this guy, Owen Arthur, uh, who was his understudy, who had been James's understudy, um, and they were just going to carry it on for six months. But people still wanted to see the show, yeah. even without James Corden in it. And Owen did a fun, no, fantastic job. I can, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that thing with Obama where he yeah. just sits there and goes, <laughs> I'm hoping to do that and yeah. I'm not, I've failed so yeah. far. You'll know why Obama. <laughs> you're like, he, he was like one fluid movement and you're like. <laughs> um, so the, so the, idea, the moment the posters went up without James's face on, I thought they've clearly made a fucking bad move here they should just realise that the talent has gone and move on and then when they asked me to do it I went well of course there's definitely movement within the park for a new voice um, but that was because Owen had been filling you know that gap yeah. and, and um, I, I do I, I, it, two things that I think about that is I ended up doing that role for a year on tour and in the West End and 
the people who came to see who'd seen him in it or seen Owen and seen me had some sort of compromise were always very complimentary. But the truth is, I think that that part is so James Corden's part. It, you know, he, he had so much success with it. He won a Tony that I think however good you are in that part, I don't think you ever really get out from under his shadow. He's, he's a big shadow. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> well, maybe. But I think it's still uh, remarkable. I'm not. I, I, you know, I, I absolutely think you deserve to have this, but it's still a remarkable thing to be plucked from one thing to another thing. Or yeah. were you look? Were you kind of looking for acting work no, and they well, came up? Or they just? I so again, you're about to get the you know from yeah, the birth of happening. man answer. I'll just deal with the flies. While yeah. if, I, if, I, <laughs> okay. if I'm killing flies, well, I don't think I'm not interested. No, no, I won't. If you could stop yawning. Though, that would help. <laughs> um, <laughs> from the age of about four, I thought I was going to be an actor. You really are going back a long way. Yeah. We're really stuck. Like, but there's video of me at four doing the Rudolf Nureyev skit from The Muppet Show. Right. And at school, when you like showing off, the, the outlet for showing off when you're at school is acting. You know, it's all channeled into drama. It's not do 10 minutes to stand up. It's you're in the school play. I went to a school called Frencham Heights so you had to pay to go to, but it wasn't a private school in the sense that most people would think of a private school. It was co-educational. There was no uniform. You called teachers by their first name. Um, but it had a big kind of performing arts element to it, but it wasn't a drama school or anything like that. I went there for a year we ran out of money, and my mum and dad informed the school that we were gonna, that I was going to leave, and the drama teacher came forward and went, I think he's good, I'm going to have a word with them, and he got me a scholarship to stay. And for the next two years, I lived at the drama block, more or less, reading Shakespeare and Godbert and Willie Russell, because the guy that was the drama teacher was an old-fashioned sort of lefty, and he wanted this kid who couldn't afford to be there, who was surrounded by, you know, millionaires' kids, to have you know, a kind of con uh, a, a theatrical conscience, if that makes sense. The plays he exposed me to were a mixture of kind of working class, like Brechtian stuff, but also those plays of the 60s, you know, Orton and those guys. And I met, when I left Celebrity Juice, my agent basically said, there's still interest in you in television, but if you did want to look at doing something else, that might not be a bad idea either. <laughs> and I went, oh, right. Well, what do you mean? It made me feel terribly anxious. And about a week later, my agent's assistant rang and said, we've had a call from the Soho Theatre. It's like 200 quid a week, and it'll take ages, and you'll lose money doing it. Do you want to meet him, or should I just tell him to fuck off? And I said, well, no, I think I should be looking at doing some other things, apparently, <laughs> according to your boss. So I'll go and talk to him. And I met Steve Marmion at the Soho Theatre, and he talked about the play that he wanted to put on using all of the words and all of the language and all of the hope that my drama teacher, David Proudlock, yeah. used to talk about drama with. And the teenage boy in my head just went, you can't say no to this, you fucking asshole. You've done loads of big entertainment things. You've done all of those. You can't let me down. You can't have me be the kid reading um, Two or Bouncers or, you know, Shirley Valentine. 
you can't have me be him and then not do this. That would be unfair. Yeah. So I did a terrible play for Steve Marmy and it was absolutely <laughs> awful. People hated it. One of the reviews, it was a fantastic <laughs> phrase, uh, was it slated the play over about 10 paragraphs and the last paragraph was, however, the cast seem to be trying their best and like, they're probably nice people, so I see no need to name them here. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how bad that was reviewed. But, uh, <laughs> but what it did do was... I reviewed it by saying, I thought it was impossible for something to be worse than celebrity juice. Got <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of fans of celebrity juice in tonight? I'm imagining the Venn diagram between celebrity juice <laughs> and Richard Herring is not, has not gone much I was, in the I way was asked it. to uh, be on celebrity juice oui. once. Was that in, in the first series? I think it was early on. Yeah. And I, st I still didn't want to do it. No. Well, <laughs> do you want to talk about Celebrity Juice? Yes, I do. Why did you leave Celebrity Juice? It's really? Tricky. It's tricky, yeah. I mean, it's very hard to answer because it's really hard to answer that question. Because there's the story of just basically what happened, but then there's the things that I'm sort of aware of. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the thing that I'm aware of is that that show isn't for everyone and it's a big daft show. And whether you like it or you hate it, I quite enjoyed doing it because we used to turn up every week and start drinking. Because it was Keith just being... Well, it was Lee being Keith, but it's Keith Lemon being Keith Lemon. Um, in the early days of that show, the idea was I was going to be there to provide a sort of comedic counterpoint to that. So while he was being mental, I could be... The, 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 the original pitch for that show was we, we want it to be like Heat Magazine came to life, right? Yeah. But we don't want it to be down on all of the people who are in Heat Magazine. And then I was going to be the one that actually was down on the people in Heat Magazine. And, and like, Towie. What the fuck is Towie? Why do we care about these people? And Katie Price and Peter Andre and all of that. Why should any of us care? And the more it went on, the less of that ever made the edit. So all that I was ever in it for was taking my clothes off, you know, for a game or whatever. Which I didn't, again, I didn't mind doing because, you know, we were pretty drunk. <laughs> but also it was good fun. It was like a family. But the more and more of that there was and the less and less of what I was there to do was actually in the finished product, the less point there was in my being there. So the real reason that I left Celebrity Juice is what I've always said it was, which is there, was, there, there ceased to be a point in my being there. Mm -hmm. The truth of how that all came about is, is something that if I explain, I think either ends up with me looking like, fuck them because they were mean to me, or boo-hoo, boo-hoo, pity me, all that I've got some grudge against the people that I worked with on that show, which isn't true. And I don't, I don't know how I, I can ever really say why I left without it looking like any of those things. So the, 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 I can tell the truth, which is there ceased to be a point of my being on that show, but what happened that really pushed the button on me leaving that was really unpleasant for me personally. Right. And... and um, and I don't think I can ever put put what happened out without people either taking it the wrong way or or, or being sorry. What happened? <laughs> it's good. It's a good. That's it's a, a good, good try. Question. <laughs> that's a good try. I don't think I could say. But what what 
What actually what, what, did that's happen? That's a good question. What, what did happen? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a good job you're there. I was going to go ask. Oh, the end of that, and then. <laughs> what are the ins and outs? Well, I don't know, man. It's um. <laughs> Do you know something? I think to an extent, fuck them. But, you no, know, no. I also think... I mean, you know, my, my wife was watching Savage uh, Juice the other day and said how much she loved it. And that's not going to be edited out of the podcast. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, I look, think it's, it's the best. Uh, look, it's the I, best would, I, would, um, I, I would say with my hand on my heart that I think Lee Francis is fucking brilliant, Right. Whether you like Keith Lemon or not... No, no, look, I mean, I know... <laughs> look, if everybody liked the same thing, blah, 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 right? But I have seen that man... Uh, right, well, there was a Christmas special that we did, and the big end game was meant to be him in a big Santa costume, right? And it turned out that the people making the programme had forgotten to order the big Santa costume for the end of the Christmas special, <laughs> right? I think... Anybody, any performer in that situation would feel let down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, suddenly, where the fuck are you? Somebody in props found a square metre of something vaguely red and a bit of white that they pulled off one of those pound shop Santa hats. Right? And they went, well, you, we've got that. And all, everyone in the audience had one of those pound shop Santa hats. So he had a pound shop Santa hat, a bit of white, and a, and a red thing. And a fucking whole set that was a grotto, right? So you can't even get away with, like, oh, this was never meant to be Santa, because you're sat in a big chair with grotto, and, you know, all of that business. I think anyone else would have just gone, well, you'll just have to fill it with what we've already done, you know, and stretch it out and make it longer. But he got a bit of tape and stuck the white to his face to make the shittest beard you've ever seen. He wrapped the red bit of cloth around his shoulders and he was as funny as I've ever seen anybody be about the whole thing and made it up out of thin air, joke for joke, for a good ten minutes and was just eye-wateringly funny. Just, you know couldn't quite breathe for laughing funny. And I think if you can do that, you are magic. I think you are a special person in the world of comedy. Um, I, you know, I would, I would have respect for that. I would have respect for um, Bo Selector. You know, again, that kind of parody, caricature, grotesque thing, I think defined certain celebrities in people's minds. I mean, Craig David never got over that. <laughs> Did he? You know, and very, very often now you'll hear people talking about Scary Spice and someone will go, you know, Fuck it! <laughs> or Lorraine Kelly, can you see my crayola? You know, like, he absolutely nailed some of those things in, in a way that Hogarth would have, you know, nailed the, the big figures of, their, of his time. So, so I think he's brilliant, but the people who actually make the show, I think, re from what they started trying to make, which was something that was a bit more shared out, just went, people just want Keith Lemon. And me being there every week, I just started, like, why am I here? Please tell me why I'm here. And you ask me to be here every week, and every time we're all knocking about, it's, oh, we're all one big family, making the shows like one family. Well, all right, but you've got to make me feel like, you've got to find something for me to do. There's got to be a thing. 
Like, if you look at Shooting Stars, they've had Johnny Vegas on there and then, you know, Matt Lucas as George Dawes and Angelo Sepathimu. There's, like, moments where it's like you land something. That is why they are there. It doesn't yeah. stop it being Vic and Bob's show. It doesn't stop it being about Vic and Bob. But there's a moment for them to do something else. And I never went in with like, I've got to have five minutes of airtime, I've got to have this, I've got to have that. But I was like, you've got to have a reason for me to be here. Because the stuff, that, the jokes that I do that work well aren't of the same vein as Keith's jokes. So you're like, well, oh, it doesn't quite work in that way. But you've got to kind of create a space for those jokes to work. Otherwise, there's no reason for me to be here. Sure. So there were seven series of that show. I was on six of them. And by the end of the sixth, three specific things happened. And after those three specific things, I was like, I am just, as far as the people that make this show are concerned, I am clearly just, all I am here for is it saves them having to find someone to fill a sixth chair. Hmm. Like, it's easier for them to have me on every week than it is for them to not. And every time I say why am I here, and you make all these promises to me about, oh, no, this, that, and the other, they're just never going to come off. And it ended with, I had a fight with one of the guests um, in the series before I left. You know, you want to know which one it was, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> which one was it? It was, um, <laughs> it was Kim Woodburn. <laughs> Do you remember Kim and Aggie, How Kim Clean and Aggie, Is Your yeah. House? Yeah, not, I mean, not my proudest moment, obviously. <laughs> but... <clears throat> it was, I should point out, when I say a fight, it wasn't like a physical toe-to-toe. <laughs> -to -toe, like, fucking have that, you old scouser. It wasn't one of those. What happened was, she stuck her head out of the magazine. We had that magazine. I mean, you don't watch it, but there's a magazine around. She stuck her head out. And she was chatting away to Keith and um, he said, have you got much coming up? And she said, no, I don't think the people who make TV want me anymore. And I said, very, I mean, like genuinely, honestly, don't do yourself down, people always need a cleaner, right? <laughs> now, bear in mind, that's what she's famous for. If I'd, if I'd have said that to Jude Law, fair enough, that's a fucking insult, isn't it? All you're good for is cleaning. She's a cleaner. That was... That, is, that, was, that genuinely wasn't me poo-pooing the woman. That was, that was me sort of joining in on the conversation as somebody who famously, repeatedly, cleaned houses on television. She... Is a that is, you know, if you wanted a job description, she's a cleaner. That is what she, anyway, she, she looked at me and said something along the lines of, when I want the opinion of a fat man, I'll, you know, I'll stand outside Craig's. It wasn't even as witty as that. It was just, it was just like a proper... Fuck you. <laughs> Old-fashioned fuck you. And I, I just sort of made me laugh to myself that here she was sort of having a dig. Because it, it, I genuinely hadn't meant it as a, a, an insult. It was that she's a cleaner. <laughs> and it just really fucking spiralled out of control. <laughs> and I, I can't... I mean, I don't... Here's the thing. The, 
it this, ended... is, this is more moving than the Stephen Fry thing. <laughs> this is, it really is. <laughs> she, I, I honestly, I genuinely don't remember what went back and forward. But this is sort of my point: is it, it ended up really horrible. She was really trying to be kind of deliberately personal. And by the point it had got to that place, I was like, okay. Because <laughs> I'm a stand-up comedian, and if you want to start what was by that point basically heckling, I'm fucking good at this. That's what I've been I'm, I'm living for 10 years doing. And so I was, you know, personal back. It basically ended up with me... I mean, I can remember some of the things I said because they still make me laugh. <laughs> But I can't remember any of the things she said back because they weren't very funny. Yeah. But I did, I did, she said something like, she was basically kept saying I was fat and that that was abhorrent to her, which, you know. Is she the thin one of the two? No. No, <laughs> no she's not. No. <laughs> but, I didn't think but so. But I did end up saying, that's a bit rich coming from a woman who looks like a face drawn on a deflating party balloon. <laughs> right? Which, which I only remember because even as I was saying, I was like, that is exactly what she looks like. That was exactly it. It was like, I really was pleased with like the imagery. So when you looked at her and you imagined a face drawn on a deflating party balloon, it, honestly, you would have, you could have, twins. Right, so clearly not a proud moment. An older-ish lady, a senior member of society, was a bit snippy at me. I was a bit snippy back. She didn't take it well, and it went toe-to-toe in that way, right? Anyway, we used to film two shows a night, and that was the first one, and she refused to leave the building until I apologised to her. And the producers came to me and said, you should apologise. And I said, well, I don't think I should. She started it. <laughs> and, you know, she, she started off by being rude to me. She's on a comedy show, even if what I said in the first instance was in any way kind of offensive. Like, there's a bit of fact, but she actually started with the yeah. personal stuff. And then I went, I'm on your show. <laughs> I'm part of the family, you know? So why are you insisting I go and apologise to her? You should say, well, look, we're really sorry it didn't work out. Trust me, none of that will be in the final edit. And it was not. You, you, know, you watch that episode back, we're all getting on famously. But, but they made me go and apologise. And I was like, oh, this just feels weird. But okay, I will do it because you're one of my friends. I said, here's the one thing, though, right? If I do it, you have to give me a copy of the tape. <laughs> I, know, I know that it will never go out, it will never be seen, I will sign whatever it is you need me to sign that says I will never put it on YouTube, I'll never show it to people or whatever. But I'm sure she started that <laughs> by being horrible. And the fact that it's got to this point is bad, but I want to be able to watch it back because I want to know from my own peace of mind that what happened is what, how I remember it. And they went... Absolutely. If that's what it's going to take to get you up those stairs so we can get that woman out of the building, then fine. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. I go up, her husband's there, 
I open the door, the first thing he says to me is, where I come from, pal, trust me, the first thing that'd be going back through that fucking wall is your fucking head. I was like, constructive. <laughs> he then said to me, uh, she said to me, if you think insulting people is funny, you need to have a rethink of what comedy is. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm not being lectured on comedy by a fucking cleaner. <laughs> But I, and then he piped up with, would you speak to your mother like that, right? And I went, okay, you've raised two points there. Your first one is, do I think insulting people is funny? I'm literally tomorrow going to the book launch of my book, Heckle Put Downs, <laughs> which is basically a big long book of insulting people. So yeah, I do think it is quite funny when they deserve it. And you asked me if I'd speak to my mum like that. I've written an inscription to my mum's copy of that book that says, mum, check this out, you cunt. <laughs> They didn't take that well. But, <laughs> but it, again, it just, you know, it was all very childish. It was very foolish. I thought, you know, you could argue there might have been a bit of back and forth as far as they were concerned. I, just because she was a senior, you know, she's older than me, I should have been deferent to her. And I don't think that's really how society should work. I don't think old people get to be respected just because they're old. You have to be decent, and that's why people are decent back to you. I'm an equalitist, if that's a word. <laughs> What's think... interesting about that, though, is she's saying she won't leave until you've apologised. That's quite inconvenient for her if you don't apologise. <laughs> she sort of set up a thing. She presumably wants to leave. No, no, but uh, clearly, really, what that's about, if, you know, is, 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 it's not that she wants to apologise, <laughs> it's that she wants to have another go yeah. at me. But if you don't do it, she could still be there now if you hadn't got an apologise. Uh, which was my original point <laughs> to the producers, was, we'll leave her in that room, and let's get on with making the second episode of the show and see what happens. At some point, she'll leave. Anyway, that wasn't what they wanted. And, and for all the reasons that I'm sure were valid and, you know, and right. To what, but this, was, this was my point, right? Yeah. This is why I drive my wife insane. I've told you all of those things to tell you this one thing. Towards the end of being on that show, I said to the producers, and you never even gave me a copy of that thing. I asked you about it, you swore to me, you shook my hand, you looked me in the eye. At the end of series party, I said to you about that. I was stood next to the editor. The editor said to me, I've got it all on a bin, ready to go. All I need from you is an address. I went, I'll give you my address now. And you said, no, don't give him it. We'll send it on to you. And I, and I never even got that. And of all the promises that you claim that you know you made me, that would be one example of something where I've, I told you I would never you know, do anything with it. I just wanted to sit for my own peace of mind. And the producer said to me, oh, come off it. You knew full well we would never have given that to you. <laughs> and that was, that was sort of the point of yeah. all of the things that I was ever on that show. They, they, they had this sense that I should be grateful being on this big hit show. And what they never really understood was the thing that I had set out to do in comedy wasn't to be on a show like Celebrity Juice, and for me to keep being on a show like Celebrity Juice, they needed to have room for me in it. And they weren't interested in that. And there came a point where they basically said, you look like you don't want to be here anymore. And you need to fucking cheer up if you're going to be in that seat every week. And I went, well, make me happy. <laughs> you know, cheer me up. Yeah. And and they said take two weeks off and think about it and then two days later wrote back and went actually have longer 
but then, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing, is it, in the end? I mean, it, it sounds like it wasn't working out for you, but also... Well, that, I think it's very easy to get trapped in those jobs, you know what I mean? Well, trapped yeah. in that world, and you're doing, yeah. you're doing something already. No, no, well, look, Mars, 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 the thing is, I'm hurt by that story, yeah, so sure. I tell it with a downward inflection at the end. Because <laughs> I am hurt by it, because I was there. The first series of that show did no business. I joined in the second series and it started to grow an audience and I'm not for one moment suggesting that I am the reason that show was a success. The reason that show was a success was that group of people began to feel like we were doing something good and, and the people making the show knew what that was and we all kind of did it together. But there was, from, the, from being within those walls, there was never a feeling of like, I had been part of that, I was just something that was near that while they were doing it all. And because of that, I'd feel kind of hurt by it because... Holly, Fern and Lee and I all became really good chums, but because of the people making the show, I, it, it, it ended up not really being allowed to be there. And the, and the thing that I think on some level is, I like Lee, and like I said, I'm a, you know, from a comedian's point of view, I'm a big fan of his, but I think he probably knew what was going on and I know that nothing changed. Hmm. So I don't think when push came to shove, he really valued what I might have had to offer, and that, that hurt. So we never had an argument, we've never had a crossword. When I left, he sent me a lovely email saying, I'm sorry that this has ended the way it has. And, and, and anything I've ever said about him has always been how much I respect him. Uh, but I do think it was probably within his power to have had more more room for something I could do and and if that's not what anyone wanted then that's fair enough but I, I felt really let down about it and I still feel very let down about it um, but that's the downward inflection story and the upward inflection is after I left that my agent went why don't you have a look at doing something else yeah. I went and did a tiny play at the Soho Theatre some people from the National Theatre came to see that you know something, there's a thing I could tell you now that would fucking nail this story so much better than the thing I can't tell you. There's a thing I can't tell you. Where I got a phone call two hours ago. Uh, no, what's the time now? Later. Um, but I don't know whether it's right. Here's the, here's the thing I can tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get that woman out in a second. Yeah. So we'll get <laughs> I... I, there's there's a, a job that I got offered five hours ago that, if I take it, will totally change my life. And I have been offered it. No, 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 I'm not saying I'm not going to take it. But what they've done is they phoned up and offered it to me. And what I need to do is go, what are you going to pay me? Right? Because if they don't pay me more than my mortgage... I can't afford to do the job. So it's not that I don't want the job, it's that I, have to, that I have to be able to afford to take that job. The other thing about working in theatre is that it crushes anything in your life that isn't theatre. Crushes it under the sole of its fucking shoe. I've got two small children and I haven't really engaged with them properly for a year. Albie's five, Hilda's two. When Albie was Hilda's age, I'd been around him all the time. He knew my face. And when I see my daughter, 
she says, going to work, Daddy. That's what she asks me all the time. Going to work, Daddy. Because in her life, I'm just somebody who's there before they go to work. So I would love to take this job, but if they're not paying me enough and give me enough holiday, <laughs> then I won't grow up around my children and I'll lose my house. And I think it is reasonable to not jinx it by telling you people what it is. <laughs> but but like the, the end of that story is if I hadn't have been fired from that show, I wouldn't have been offered a job today that two years ago I would just never, ever, ever in a million years have been in the running for. So it is good that yeah, I ended good. up not on that show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You've all applauded, of course, when it comes out that it's like a pro Jimmy Savile biopic. <laughs> you'll, <laughs> you'll, all, you'll, all take, you'll be sucking the applause back up. Well, you might have already answered this question. This is a question from Ben Evans, Chris Evans' 11-year-old son. You used to do a CBB show called Hounded. Mm. I enjoyed it very much. Oh, brilliant. Are you ever going to do it again? I'm guessing it's a second series of Hounded. That's what he's been up for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can genuinely tell you if, yeah. if the job I had just been offered was a second series of Hounded I would feel as happy about that <laughs> as I do about the thing that I have in Truth Been Offered I would absolutely love to do a second series of Hounded boring the boring genuine answer Good. is that the way children's television is commissioned they have some money but they have to repeat those things almost infinitely to justify spending the money on them yeah. and we made enough episodes where they could repeat them for sort of five years and feel that they'd got away with that and it wasn't a big enough hit that they wanted to then pump more money in because it was going to sell the channel but I'm really hoping that that generation because I have kids come up to me all the time <laughs> who love that show just really fucking dig it and it and, it, and if we'd have got a second series it would have been better than the first we had some good ideas for a second series um so I would love to do more. Okay. I like this one as well. I'm just give one more from Ben. Uh, this isn't a question, but I understand. <laughs> but I understand you did some promotional videos for Mario Kart Seven. Yeah, I did. Yeah, no, yeah. No, I know it's not a question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, however, is a question. You're right. That is literally where it ends. I thought you were being sly, but that is absolutely just, where it ends. It's just that he wanted to let you know that he knew something. Well, I'm glad that I've got yeah, a bit of... I understand. I understand. <laughs> I understand. I just love it when... Uh, it's the best. I think that's the best age to be 11. Because mm. it's just... You're so... Uh, well, as a man, you don't ever really move past that anyway. <laughs> I think so. But you're so free. You don't, you're not self-conscious. Um, I've, I was just remember, I was talking to my wife about a, a song I wrote when I was 11 which has been now which I then sang on a podcast and someone's put to music uh, but it's just sort of so free and it's impossible was it Gangnam style it's, it's, a, uh... it's blues uh, it goes I was walking down the street carrying some meat someone tried upon my feet so I kicked him up the seat oh yeah please come back to me oh. uh, and there's two verses of it and then I tried to do extra verses as an adult and I can't get anything as good as you know. as that as that verse and then the juxtaposition with this sort of 11 year old going please come back yeah. to what have you lost uh, so I'll ask you one of my emergency questions I don't know if I, we, we did talk at this on that yeah. can I offer something yes please do there's, there's have you got another verse a story no no no. <laughs> no no but the thing about it's best being 11 yeah right 
and I said, all men are like that. Did you ever play the comedian and stay with Bill and Agnes? And I did. I played the comedian, but I didn't never stay with Bill and Agnes because no. you were at your own shows and things like that. So if you did the Crater Comedy Club, which was their Friday, Saturday, Sunday night club, you stayed with this couple, Bill and Agnes. When the comedian was founded, they were just two old people who had a big house, and the comedian had no money to put people up. So Bill and Agnes, being sort of supporters of you know, the burgeoning art scene in Brighton, went, well, just have them come and stay at ours. Bill, totally upright, decent, you know, proper member of society, rugby club, ex-headmaster at a special needs school. Compassion, but strong and strong. Agnes had been a nurse um, in Scotland, met Bill, and then become a school nurse for special needs kids. Wonderful people. Prop and, and they became like the adoptive grandparents of a whole raft of comics that played the comedia a lot. But they were terrible at keeping you up at night because you'd get back to their house and the wine would just start flowing and the they smoked the pair of them like you know it, their front room it was like literally you walked in to that like fug you had to like cut a hole like Inuits cut a hole in the thing to fish you had to like to find a way in and you'd be up till all hours with them and um, and because they became like adoptive grandparents, one night I'm sat on the sofa with Bill and I just signed the form for my first mortgage because I'd got married after four months of knowing my wife and then we found out a month later that we were pregnant. And my wife said, well, I want to move back to London and we're going to need a house. And I went from renting and stand up and, yeah, fucking rock and roll, into we need a home to raise a child with a wife that you have now, dickhead. <laughs> and and I, when I was signing the forms, we went to this financial advisor and I freaked out. Because I, like, I know that this signature is the point at which my shit changes. I am now responsible for things, truly, inseminating a woman was probably that actually at that point. <laughs> but this felt like, you know, literally sign your life away. And I sat down with Bill and I got a bit, you know, sad about it. And I was like, mate, it's just like, I don't know how I can do this, if I'm honest. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm pretending at being functional. And, and all of this is a blag. And, and now I've got this other thing and I don't know how I'm gonna balance that all up. I don't really feel like I'm a grown-up. And Bill, who was like a mahogany wardrobe of a man, <laughs> but it looked exactly like Father Christmas, big white beard, no hair on the top, white round the side, was 70 when we had this conversation. Um, National Health Specs was still swimming in the sea every day down in Brighton, every day, 365 days a year, up until his like 68th birthday. And he looked at me with his twinkly eyes over his glasses and he went, I've been a headmaster, I've been the captain of a rugby club, I'm the father of two wonderful children. Don't tell anyone, I'm 11. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. You know, in that one moment, I was like, oh, thank fuck. I thought you all actually were grown-ups. This is a conspiracy of silence. We are all pretending to be functional. Thank God for that. I thought it was just me, you know. And I immediately felt less pressure. Well, I'm very grown-up. Uh, so, I disagree. I'm a very grown-up person. Would you prefer to have a hand <laughs> made out of ham? 
or an armpit that is Prince sun cream, or yes, changed. Uh oh, a, a tit that squirted talcum powder continuously. Is the sun cream continuous as well? No, the, the sun cream is two pots a year, two things a year, two. Mm. Yeah, sure, the international mind in for sun cream dispenser. <laughs> yeah. there. Two bottles, that's the word I said. Yeah. Two bottles. Uh, the ham hand is, uh, well, you can eat it, but it would take some time to grow back. And uh, the flies love this ham hand question. They do exactly this. Mm. One of them settled on your arm. Yeah. Because uh, it's waiting to hear your answer. Yeah. Uh, or the tit is a new thing. The bit, it's like a woman's boob, one boob. Uh, instead of lactating, you go... And then just a puff of talcum powder comes out. That's continuous though. But every time you do it, yeah, you, yeah. you can't turn it off. Every time it gets touched, some talcum powder will come out. Right, okay. But it'll be a lot of talcum powder. What are the rules for the armpit? Uh, <laughs> it has to be, you have to choose the factor at the beginning. You can never change it. It's yeah. only enough to dispense. But is it a continuous ooze? No, no, you can turn it on and off. It's like a. a no, well, that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> The other two are massively inconvenient and uncontrollable, and that is totally within the realms of being, if anything, quite quite helpful. The talcum powder would be good. That's a new. No, it wouldn't. It'd be like someone's got do slightly you not damp stimulate, hands. Do you not? Yeah, but do you, you not stimulate? Excuse me, I can help you there. <laughs> no, you're right. You've won me over. I'd have that. Shappy would have a. A boob with a talcum powder in it. Well, yeah, but that's cool, Sandy, for you. <laughs> uh, do you have any unusual phobias of things? Or oh, are not things? It, it's really unusual. Can be metaphysical concepts. <laughs> oh, well, in that case. <laughs> <laughs> this is my uh, new no. emergency question. It's, fl it's flopped once. If it flops again, we yeah. may never hear it again. Okay. So you've got to come up with a good answer. I wish I did. Yeah. I wish I did, but I, I sort of. I think that the triumph of being functional yeah. is to kill those things. Yeah. If you're scared of spiders, go and just start picking up spiders if you're scared of... But did you ever see Andy Nyman's play Ghost Stories? Yes. Right? Did you see that? Yeah. It was amazing. So there's three ghost stories, yeah. and they ask you not to ruin the surprise. I'm not going to ruin the surprise, but I can tell you there is, you know, three ghost stories, and there is one character within that ghost story who says... Uh, they're about to bring it back. I actually can't remember, but it's, it's something like it's a bit like the um, Doctor Who episode. Are you my mummy? <laughs> it's that, right? Yeah. And Andy Nyman's now a friend of mine, and so one of the ways in which we became friends, he said, "Oh, you should come and see my play." I'm like, definitely. I can't stand shit like that. It, it just lives with me and terrifies me. And now every night when I'm locking up my house <laughs> and I lock the back door, which yeah. is like a glass door, and it's just the black of the garden, I know it's there fucking asking the question, are you my mummy? <laughs> and I very calmly lock the door, very calmly walk through the kitchen, very calmly walk up the stairs to bed, and inside I'm going, fuck it, run! Fuck it, run! It's coming! You fucking can't run! See, it's a good question. Now we've got to say it's good. It's, good. it's a good question. Um, it almost answers another question. Yeah. Which is the emergency question is, have you ever seen a ghost? Has you or one of your siblings ever seen a ghost to give it its full? Oh, my brother has seen a ghost. Yes! But 
I can't really remember the ins and outs of it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We'll get him on next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. I'll, um, I'll tell you, as a podcast extra, <laughs> if you want, yeah. at a time of your mutual convenience, <laughs> yes, okay. I will um, give you his phone number if you okay. want to add this on at the end. Okay. I'll get him. Because with all of those ghost <laughs> stories, they're obviously all bullshit made up by people who are mentally impaired, right? Yeah. There's, there's no such thing as ghosts. There just absolutely isn't. And my brother told me his story, and I was like, interesting. <laughs> Unfortunately, believing what you've just told me would force me to change my entire understanding of the universe. So it's clearly bullshit, but I just can't work out how. Well, we might have to ring him up. Uh, you like Scrabble? Yes, I do. I was in the school sc uh, Scrabble team. What is the best word you've ever come up with? What's the most points for one word you've ever had? Uh, quiz. That's not very good. Well, it's not very good, but if you play it right, it's absolutely huge. No. Pathetic. Oh. Equators, I've had across two triple word scores. Across two? Yeah. Nine times. There's already a letter in there, and then you've got to put the other word letters around it to make equators. That is the mark of a genius. EQ. It's eight letters long. It's eight letters long. Yeah, it is eight letters long, yeah. Equators. And I told David Baddy all this when I was with him last week, because I tell most people, you know, if I'm with them long enough. Uh, he said, well, how could you have equators? There's only one equator. Uh, and, and I thought, well, uh, different planets have equators. He said, no, they don't. And then I said to him, if I had two globes, yeah. I could say there's one equator, there's the other equator, two equators. I outfoxed David Baddiel that day. <laughs> I can tell you. I outfoxed him. He's got a double first. Uh, I don't think he has actually. Um, and uh, <laughs> he, also, he has played Wembley, though. Yeah, he has. I was in the front row of the, the front row. I really? arrived late, and he went bloody hell. It's Richard Harry. I thought you and Stuart Lee were excellent in the Mary Whitehouse experience. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's been very interesting going off. I went away to uh, Armenia with him last week uh, <laughs> with David Baddiel. Yeah, so it was interesting to be the two unfunny halves of 290's double X and I tell you the, jink, the high jinx we got up to um, <laughs> just the jinx the surely. jinx <laughs> the jinx we got up to low jinx the, the you, average uh, jinx the median jinx the I, uh, equatorial jinx there's loads of there's loads of good things about uh, you you built your college radio station yeah is that true it wasn't you built really a, it yeah, I did build it. I even built the cabinet it was all kept in. <laughs> um, but it wasn't really a radio station because we weren't allowed to transmit anything. So we just ran wires around the campus. Right. And in certain places you could hear and we got to deal with a local record shop and just uh, were fucking about trying to make each other laugh. Not as good as I thought it would be. No, sorry. Um, but you, I did buy it all and wire you, it all. You won so uh, build it. rubbish. You were uh, <laughs> disappointed. I thought it was like a whole radio station. Like yeah, a, no, yeah. I mean, I single-handedly built Radio 4. Yeah. <laughs> you won a Sony Silver Award. <laughs> I did. Yeah, it's not as good. As a bronze one. As a bronze one. Is it because the bronze one looks more like gold? <laughs> it therefore is. It's... Bronze is worth three. Silver's only worth two. Yeah, so you just, yeah. <laughs> you just missed out. Yeah. You just missed out on just that, so that was unlucky. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you used to work at the Science Museum? Yeah, teaching kids science, doing the shows and explaining things. Did you have to dress up as anyone? My friend Andrew Mackay used to work at the Science Museum. He did? He dressed up. Do you know him? I know of him. Right. 
Was he famous? Was he was he legendary in the in the science museum? Do you remember when Andrew Mackay used to work? Here? I just I just know the name Andrew <laughs> Mackay from the science museum. <laughs> they were a different department to us. The ones who had to be like actors, yeah, and walk around going. When I first in, oh, he was I'm Michael Farad- Babbage. He was yeah, Michael yeah, Faraday. Faraday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you I'm glad you were aware of him. Yeah. Uh, he played, fine work he did. He fine played work. Uh, the professor in Time, Gentleman, Please as well. Ah, that's what he did. So again, I think we get to the end now. When the audience have had enough, dwindling. They just. I think we should carry on. Okay. Well, listen, I'm, I'm in no hurry. You have presented Top of the Pops, and they're still free. <laughs> <laughs> For now. For now. I've, I've presented Top of the Pops. Yes, you did. Yeah, I've only done two episodes. You did quite a lot of episodes of Top of the Pops. Yeah, there was a there was a list published. I think it turned out there had only been 65, like, weirdly right. fewer presenters, but that was basically because up until I started doing it, I think there'd only been about 30. Yeah. And then in the last run, they brought in loads of people. Well, but when, you were in that run. When you were we in that did first it, yeah, they block. did. Well, they, when, we, when we did it, they just sort of started having guest hosts. Yeah. Uh, non, they, they opened up to non-pedophiles in the, in the, in the mid-90s. <laughs> there was a couple of people going, well, it's, doing the, it's good that they're giving pedophiles work, yeah. but keeps them busy, stops them abusing children. I've uh, watched a clip. Can we have some non-pedophile ones? And so we, was we, there we, some like, really big performance or something really... Did you introduce somebody who's like their first big single or something? I can't can remember. you remember? We were very sarcastic about everyone. It was lots of fun. East 17... Um, well, I remember a joke. There used to be a Channel 4 show. I can't remember what it's called now. <laughs> right. It was on at like four o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> on a Sunday. Yeah. And it was live and you and Stu were guests on that. Yeah. And you were writing jokes for people on demand as they rang up. Yes. And you wrote, still to me, the defining <laughs> East 17 joke. It was. I think it might have been Stuart, but it's how many members... I think we maybe did it together. How many members of East 17 does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, four. four. One, one to, to actually change the light bulb. One, one to have the idea to change the light bulb. One to change the light bulb. And two, two to, to stand, stand at the, at the back, back and write that. <laughs> Knowing in their hearts that their life is empty. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> but we Amazing. had Cher was on. Uh, Robson and Jerome were oh, number one. Maybe that's why I've seen that Robson clip. <laughs> I thought it was I'm really impressive. But we, it was uh, Michelle Gale search. was on. I heard one of Eternal Weeing. <laughs> Don't know which one, but I, yeah. well, they were in the dressing room next to ours and the toilets were back to back, you know, but not, I mean, there was a wall, sure. but a thin wall, and I could hear, I went to the toilet and I could hear a woman singing an Eternal song whilst urinating. She was practicing in the toilet. So, I so heard it's a, possible you've heard Louise Redknapp piss. <laughs> yes, it's possible. More likely, I think, Kelly. He was the one I liked the best. Yeah. Kelly was the nicest one from Eternal. Right, guys. Yeah, there's two. They're too uh, too young. All these people. Do you remember Eternal, James? You're of a, a you're you know a savant though from your generation. You know things that someone of your age shouldn't know. <laughs> Which is weirdly um, a sentence quite often muttered by a presenter of Top of the Pops. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that case. So, yeah, well, so you did. Why? Why? How? What? Uh, top what? of the Pops. Um, is it right near the end of Top of the Pops? You I didn't kill it. Top of the Pops, but I was standing very close to it when it died. <laughs> <laughs> um, Seems a shame it stopped. Yeah. Um, oh, look, I, you know, I, I did some jobs for BBC in the music department and they liked me and they asked me to do it at a point where they were trying to sort of... 
save it and it didn't work. But I did present the last ever, ever one. Did he? The last ever, like, normal one. And then the following week, they did a sort of best of with Savile, like, there and... Dave Lee Travis was there. And, you know, all these people. Rolf Harris popped in. <laughs> Stuart Hall was that came over. What's going on in here? The thing is, frantically, I'm trying to think how many of these people have actually been prosecuted for this and how many... We um, haven't said this. We can say their names. Can we? Yeah, we haven't said anything. I've just said they were there. Okay. I haven't said, you know, yeah. they're guilty of anything. Sure, and I'm sure they weren't. They but, the weird, the, but the truth about Savile... Well, unfortunately, I think we all know the truth about Sample, but having actually been anywhere near him, he was just... I mean, I'm not inclined to believe in sort of weird cosmic things, but that fucker's aura was all out of shape. You, I, you couldn't bear to be near him. He was vile. And because he was top of the pops to so many people, there was a deference to him. Oh, Jim, you know, have a sit down or whatever. I just had to leave the room. I, Honestly, he was just... Something about him was acrid. Absolutely horrible. And how he got away with it for as long as he did is a mystery to me because two seconds in that fucker's company and, you know, <laughs> awful. Well, it's, it is bizarre. He was very litigious and that is the, that's the key. If you, if you want to get away with being a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just have if anyone gets anywhere near saying it. Because we, I mean, we, we got... There was a, there was a joke in um, This Morning Rich Not Judy where we, we opened... Uh, we did a few jokes about him and we got away with it. But there's one we got away with that I don't really understand how we got away with it, which I might have mentioned recently. But we, we might be bringing This Morning Rich Not Judy out on DVD. It's the good news. Hey! Uh, but this, this will be taken out of it. If, oh, if will it, it? Yeah, because they've, 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 uh, they've not been as bad as they were with The Fist of Fun, but they've taken... They've excised... A few jokes, right. uh, and this is one of them. And I think the other one, there might be two Jimmy Savile ones, but one of them is just uh, it was the day we'd been, I think it was the day of the marathon, or we'd been cancelled for the marathon, <laughs> right? And we were both dressed up as Jimmy Savile, uh, going now, then, now, then, we're just not even really trying to do the voice. Uh, and then uh, we said, yeah, It's the London Marathon today, uh, I hope nobody dies. And then I said, If they do, Bagsy, I take them to the morgue. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm amazed you got him because yeah, I, yeah. I mean it, it was so which that was the joke about him at the time the joke about him at the time was that which I just presumed and still presume is uh, just a, an urban myth because there's no way you would know that he did do that there was, there's no the, the beauty of the crime of having sex with dead people yeah. is there literally are no witnesses yeah. to that although uh, often if you follow the trail of flies <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but that's uh, so I'm amazed we got away with that because he was they were just you know they were terrified of uh, making a joke because he would uh, threaten to sue and yeah. ironically uh, the BBC have ended up being sued uh, a yeah, lot worse yeah. as a result of, uh, of kowtowing <laughs> yeah, yeah. there we go well that might explain some of their more, more recent sensitivity <laughs> yes they're very sensitive and so let's just we'll, we'll end on um, probably on um, how did you feel shaving off the, the moustache because it was so <laughs> it was so much a trademark of, yeah were you worried that that was, you know, the, the I, like I really Samson? wasn't. Like, I shaved it off to play Francis Henshaw, yeah. who is a bloke who's just been fired from a skiffle band. Right. And if you look at any photos <laughs> of anyone in a skiffle band, they're all clean shaven. So the thing that I thought was quite nice was I thought at least people will know that I'm taking it seriously. If I'd have kept the tash <laughs> and played the role, it would have looked like that worst sort of like, here's someone you've heard of who's probably shit in this, <laughs> but you've heard of him and that's why we've got him because we think he'll sell a few more tickets. I thought if I shaved it off, it at least showed like, I am taking this fucking seriously. 
Um, so from that point of view, I didn't, I didn't give a moment's care to it, but yeah. it was like immediately not being famous anymore. <laughs> and that was a bit odd. <laughs> not like unpleasant, but you get used to being able to walk into shops and people like being like, oh, can I help you? I'm thinking like, oh, that's the upside. Like, I, I, I would never, ever, 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 ever do that thing of like going to the front of the queue and being like, oh, you know, I'm a bit more important than anyone. Despicable. But you can't help if people do recognise you being recognised. And when you look like you do and you're famous for looking how you just look, that's a nice thing. Like, you know, people tend to be a bit nicer to you. And my hunch, and maybe this is self-justification bullshit, but... My hunch is that we all want to be as nice as we can be to everyone, but we're worried about being rejected, so you kind of reserve. And then because you're being a bit reserved, the people who meet you are a little reserved, and therefore there's a sort of entente cordiale. <laughs> but when you turn up and people think, oh, I know you, then they, they, the, the same part of the brain that thinks, he's my friend because I know him, I, I like you, goes on. So they're just as nice as they would be to someone that they knew. And shaving it off was like just all of that disappearing. <laughs> and shaving it off not that long after feeling like I'd been sacked from the job that everybody knew me from doing was like, that hurt a bit. Because I was like, oh, it's really all over, isn't it? Never mind that I was playing, you know, like 1,600 people a night, standing ovations and all of that. It just like that thing of not being able to walk into curries and... <laughs> You know, have someone give you more coherent toaster advice. <laughs> really, really felt, really cut me to the quick. <laughs> so you're going to grow it back? There seems like a little, there's a little bit Yeah, there. I mean, like, I don't like shaving. No. So, I mean, you know. It, it must have involved some shaving, that particular moustache trope. It did a bit, but, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean... I, I, I prefer the, like, the curly English gentleman moustache, the English handlebar, as it's known. So I might go for one of those. But, okay. my, my, you know, I, let's imagine that I might have a job coming up <laughs> that that job probably wouldn't yeah. be a job for a bloke with a curly English handlebar moustache, and therefore probably not. But You're not in the Jason King story, is that it? Oh, yeah. I wish I was in the Jason King. <laughs> have you heard uh, the actor... Peter Wingard. Have you heard his album? No, I haven't. Oh my shit. This is a reference, by the way, that's even a little bit too far in the past for me. So we're actually referencing something now that is going beyond my head. I got his name. You won't know. Right. For those of you who don't know, Jason King was a British TV detective whose appearance on our screens was in that time where the hippies with their long hair and whatnot gave way to the dandies who were basically doing sort of long hair and all of that kind of thing, but posh, basically, and, and well-tailored and all of that. And he was this dandy detective. As a man, he was a dandy, and that's, you know, like why it all was what it was. And some record label said, we hear you do poetry and so forth. We'd love you to record an album for us. And it is one of the genuinely oddest things you will ever hear in your life. It starts with a seduction. <laughs> Track one is him literally over some sort of easy listening music going, oh, you're here. <laughs> I do hope the journey wasn't too unpleasant for you. Here, let me take your coat. No, no, it's fine. I've got it. <laughs> Just go through. No, 
No, I'm not turning the main light on. I find the main lights too revealing. That's not what we have in store this evening. Candlelight, I prefer. What's that perfume you're wearing? Oh, I know. Let me whisper it to you. Yes, I thought I was right. <laughs> I always am. Uh, that's the first track. Yeah. <laughs> There's other just really kind of like out there stuff. And, and one track, I shit you not, is his take on how rape works in different countries doing the different 70s racist accents <laughs> of the people committing the rape. It can't be that. I mean, that's the thing. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds like I must be making that up in order to sort of make it weirder for you to then struggle to believe. It, that it is absolutely, it genuinely exists. Um, and I urge you all to buy it. We will. So I'm going, is it on iTunes? I'm going straight there. Is, isn't everything now? <laughs> I don't know. I got mine on CD off of uh, taxavoidance.com. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they've... Um... Jimmy Carr. He's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> He's .co.uk. <laughs> um, but... Cool. .co.guernsey whatever that is (laughs) we've uh, yeah he might be a guest on a future show so let's be nice about him Uh, (laughs) it'll be fuller then oh I almost killed the chair no these are special chairs we've had (laughs) made from corpses let me film that lovely thank you can't really see it it is (laughs) you don't you don't get that on Parky do you you know I've spent the last year of my life falling off chairs in one man two governors don't you if you could this, go, is fucking, this is rookie bullshit compared to if you could fall off it then that's 250 quid on you've been framed yeah. I've got it I've got um, it Rich how many times I'm not falling off your chairs just for some silly joke let that be the end of it <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> What? I don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe, I, how has this happened? <laughs> I don't think we can follow that. Please give a massive round of applause to Rob Simpson. Rufus <laughs> You have been listening to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Rufus Hound. The music was by Pest. Thanks to Orange Mark and everyone at the British Comedy Guide, including Aaron. Uh, all the staff of the Leicester Square Theatre, thanks for having us here. Chris Evans, not that one, uh, and all of his cohorts. Uh, it was produced by Dave Cribb and Ben Walker. It's a Fuzz, Go Faster Stripe and Sky Potato production. It goes out on the internet. It's all over the world. Tell your friends. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to give me some money back or try and uh, see some of my other work, uh, you can come and see my scripted stand-up show, which I've worked very hard on. It's not all made up like this rubbish. Uh, called We're All Going to Die. It's uh, on a tour. You go to richtaring.com slash W-A-G-T-D and you'll be able to... Uh, 
see all the dates but coming up in October on the 16th I'm at Manchester at the Frog and Bucket 17th at the Leamington Spa Comedy Festival 18th in Brighton I think that's sold out but then you might be able to get returns and the 23rd I will be in Sheffield again that's very close to selling out buy your tickets as quickly as you can uh, we'll be back with more podcasts uh, out every Monday you can come and see us live at the Leicester Square Theatre Podcast check their website people coming up are Dara O'Brien and Ross Noble um, and uh Simon Pegg uh, but I think again that one is sold out as well uh, but you can buy the videos from Go Faster Stripe where you can buy all my DVDs and some of my books as well be lovely if you want to give something back or you can sponsor me for my run I did recently if I am not dead at UK even if I am dead at ukvirginmoneygiving.com slash Richard Herring <laughs>